Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined today by David Lake. David, it is here. It is game week. Miami going to open the season, uh, and I guess about five days when everyone gets this podcast against Florida and Orlando. Are you excited? I'm ready. I'm here for it. Let's get this thing started. Let's talk some Miami-Florida football. I know you were down in Coral Gables on Monday for uh, Manny Diaz's press conference. The two coordinators spoke to the media as well. Just kind of your takeaways from that press session on uh, on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I think I could sense. So basically, Manny Diaz talked for 30 minutes, uh, Dan Enos about 10 to 15 minutes, and Blake Baker for about 10 to 15 minutes. And really... You could just sense how they're they're definitely over camp. They're over just playing against themselves in practice. And they're ready to just start playing in a game. So you could definitely sense that they're ready to to get this season rolling. They're ready to see how, how their guys look when they're thrown into the fire against Florida. And, you know, Manny certainly knows Dan Mullen well. He's been on his staff twice to two separate occasions at Mississippi State. And... He has a lot of respect for Dan Mullen and the program he's built at Florida and what they're kind of all about. So he knows this is going to be a significant test and he's ready to see, you know, just how he, his team will look, how his team will respond against a Florida program that he knows is going to be. He, he said today the AP rankings came out today and Florida was ranked number eight. Manny said, you know, they definitely deserve to be ranked that high and and I'm excited to see how we look against that team. So I think right now they're just ready to get this season going. You mentioned uh, Florida being ranked number eight in the polls. Miami's not beaten a top 10 team, according to the Associated Press, away from home since 2005. And the Hurricanes are 3-20 and 20 on the road against top 25 teams since then. That's got to be a little alarming, no? Yeah, I think so. I think... You know, in, in that same vein, today I wrote on the site, um, Miami has a 1-9 record this decade in neutral site games. Now, not all those teams are, are top 10 teams, but they're still, you typically neutral site games are against premier opponents, whether that's in a bowl game or in a kickoff game, or one year randomly they played Notre Dame at Soldier Field in the middle of the season and, and lost that game, so... Miami certainly needs to prove that they can step up and rise to the challenge in these big-time premier games. Last year, Miami did not do that when they were the number 8-ranked team playing LSU in Dallas, Texas. And Manny Diaz has been very upfront about that, saying, look, one of the things I need to change is that competitive culture and, and how we do in these type of games. And so I think he's also interested in that standpoint seeing how Miami does against a premier team. Let's kind of shift gears uh, to one notable quote I took and pulled from what you kind of wrote. Uh, Miami going to start Zion Nelson, the, the true freshman at left tackle. This was kind of expected. We've, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but I just wanted to read the quote from Manny. Zion at left tackle, uh, in a strange way, reminds me of our linebackers when they were here the spring of their freshman year. First of all, Zion really impressed me in the, our off-season program and our mat program. And if you do recall, this is me talking now. Uh, I remember when he first came on, I think Manny spoke on the Hurricane Hotline about how Zion had 
not and gain the respect from his teammates in in the spring. Am I am I mistaken by that? No, he did. Yeah, he came on and talked about how you know Zion competed at a high level, and that was kind of the first key for any newcomer, any freshman. And yeah, he, so I guess I guess my thing is he's not really you know blowing smoke there about that. And then he says that Butch Berry got him really well versed in the offense, and it's one of those things where they. <laughs> He was he was our best guy, so let's put the freshman in there and see what happens. Is that right. like, I mean, do we agree with this? Are we okay with this, or we're just kind of kind of here for this? Well, I do think, I do think, number one, I do think Zion has talent. Like, I do think he's a guy that this time next year is going to be a strength of the team. Uh, but I also think at the same time, you could say the reason why Zion is playing is because the left tackle situation isn't where it needs to be in terms of having older players ready to play there. So is it ideal? No. But is it going to turn out okay? Maybe by the end of the year. I think it is definitely a concern going into this Florida game. You know, Manny and Butch, to be honest, both rave about Zion's athleticism and his raw ability. But doing it against uh, a Florida defensive front that's both athletic and going to do something schematically that is gonna gonna test him from a mental standpoint. I think it's gonna be a a tough task. I know, like today, I asked Dan Enos at the press conference. I said, "Do do you remember ever in your coaching career starting two freshman uh, offensive tackles in their first starts? Because right tackle is John Campbell, and he's a redshirt freshman, but still, nonetheless, he hasn't really played much, and and this is gonna be his first start." And Danny knows pause and was thinking for a while. And he said, you know, I can't recall. He's like, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I can't recall that ever happening uh, before in my career. So I think this that's definitely, you know, everyone wants to focus on Jaron Williams making his first start as a freshman quarterback. And rightfully so, that's a big deal. But I think equally as big of a deal against this Florida defensive front is true freshman Zion Nelson starting at left tackle and redshirt freshman John Campbell starting at right tackle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, as soon as you texted me the depth chart saying, hey, we got to get this up online, I think uh, our biggest thing is, well, I guess they're going with John Campbell at right tackle. It's funny, uh, I actually went back in my notes from when John was, I guess, two years ago, a recruit coming out of Dr. Phillips High School, and I had written that I thought he was more of a naturally a right tackle than he was a left tackle, and that was probably after watching Mm -hmm. him four or five times in person but to me this is still I, I I think he's a I wasn't expecting him to start in two years against Florida at right tackle so uh, I think he's a guy who's a natural fit there I'm just a little concerned uh with the Todd Grantham defense um and him having to protect SEC defensive ends I, I just think it's going to be yeah uh especially in pass protection I mean we've seen him get right. diced up pretty bad in right. practices from what we've seen to me yeah that's what you need to watch with john campbell is how how does he do when he's asked to be in space and, and, and pass protect because to me that's his weakness like when he's going forward and, and run blocking he can he can make an impact on a play but when he has to you know drop back into space and, and protect against athletic defensive linemen uh from what we've seen it it can get a little shaky at times to be quite frank Another notable, I guess, depth chart. Uh, I don't know. What do we call this? An addition or, or, or a note in on the depth chart is 
Al Blades and DJ Ivan and excuse me, DJ Ivy, uh, given the uh, and or designation on the depth chart. Surprising, I think. I mean, a staffer told me back in May, I remember this, uh, you know, someone on Miami staff that Ivy they felt was way ahead of Blades and that it really wasn't close. So is this Blades, uh, them giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's a competitor or is he really kind of pulled even? Because I think when you look at what Manny's trying to create and build with this program, like I, I think... Al Blades is almost tailor-made to what he wants in terms of a competitor, a guy who's going to win in the weight room. Um, so I found that one a little little odd. And I know some people are yeah. speculating about the whole suspension thing, but is this, I guess, do you think that they're really even, or is there another reason why the, the and-or is on the, on the depth chart? I mean, personally, what my eyes tell me, what I've seen, I think Ivy is a better cornerback than Al Blades. But, and, and I think we saw that in the spring when they competed. Now... You know, ever since the start of fall camp, to be honest, like Al Blades has been running with the ones and for the most part, and uh, it hasn't really changed. And, but I do think uh, to give context to that, it's fair to say that I do think they're going to rotate Blades and Ivy a lot in that corner spot, and, and they'll kind of just go with the hot hand, so to speak. So if if it looks like Blades is going to have a rough game or is having a rough game, they'll put Ivy in. If Ivy's having a rough game, they'll give Blades a go. And then I think if if they want to go three corners on the field together, those two guys will be on the outside and, and Trajan will kick in the nickel. So I think there's going to yeah. be a lot of rotation. I don't know if it necessarily matters what the depth chart says there, to be honest. Well, I, I do think, I mean, I don't know how much nickel looks we're going to get from them right. against Florida, but I think later in the season or even, I guess, week two against North Carolina, I think we'll yeah. probably see that a lot, you know, Trajan in there, and then you play the two other guys. Uh, another, speaking of the cornerback position, Nigel Bethel entering the transfer portal. Um, surprising, right. not really surprising, I think. <laughs> I mean, I remember when when they took him, me and you kind of like, Ugh, you know, we saw him All at right. the well, – uh, he was – take i feel like a lot of times these schools bring these kids in and they work them out at summer camps and they're like well we got to recruit we have nothing else to do and they ended up taking nigel bethel after they missed some other guys so um but he's gone uh and now to Corey couch number two on the depth chart behind bandy ahead of christian williams who was committed to alabama at one point um how about that for to couch everyone on our message board concerned about him being 149 pounds uh but like i wrote i think uh last week He's had a lot of TGI Fridays chicken fingers, and now he's up to 161 pounds, and uh, I think he's going to play. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, And from what we've seen in practice, Takori's been pretty impressive just with his competitiveness that he brings on every rep. Like He's not afraid to compete, and sometimes he does get beat. We've seen him get beat, but when he gets beat, he's always right there. Like He is always in the play, so you like to see that. And, and honestly, Andrew, you know this uh, as well as anyone. Like you should just never, never count against a South Florida DB. So oh, yeah, obviously, sure. Corey's from South Florida, and he's got that South Florida dog in him, and that's the one position that South Florida produces at an extremely high level. And I, I don't want to say we're not saying like he's going to make an impact play here against like Florida. No. I just, uh, but I think with them putting him number two on the depth chart is like, hey guys, this guy is not redshirting because he's like one of like three, uh, right. <laughs> true freshman in, in that depth chart 
Another position I wanted to just quickly hit on, because uh, I think this one flew under the radar, unless you kind of really verse in the roster. Uh, in the roster, Usman uh, Terore, the junior college kid they took late, um, I guess last month, he's the number two right guard over Tommy Kennedy, who was the guy Miami and everyone else had to get uh, back in December. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, disappointing to see Kennedy not in the too deep. Uh, he must have lost that spot here in, in the last scrimmage, or the second scrimmage, I guess it would be, um, because it seemed like he was with the second team for the majority of camp, but it appears that Treyor made a nipped him at the end here, and, you know, We're that's just, tough. Yeah, if you're a Miami fan, you want this. I mean, I think we've yeah. all kind of ruled Tommy a bust, and Torore has three years of eligibility left. So, like, this is, if you're a Miami fan, I think a good sign. No, I agree. I agree. It's it's tough. It it's disappointing that Kennedy didn't turn out to be what we would have hoped. I guess best case scenario, but you know, it is what it is. Final depth chart note: Jeff Thomas back to return man. Or I guess I don't, did he ever really lose the spot? I mean, I know you he didn't play in the final few games, but he's listed as the the guy on kickoffs and, and punt returns to me this is like a sign that hey he's i'm not he, i don't think he was in the doghouse under manny diaz but um it's like i don't know he has the entire staff's trust i guess i feel in a way yeah no i think it's a good sign he's clearly miami's uh, most dynamic offensive weapon and i think it's smart to use him in the return game the only concern there and we've seen this in the past with jeff is you know, when he does a lot of return stuff, he can get some cramps during the course of a game. So hopefully he's matured now and he understands how to take care of his body and hydrate for, you know, the 24 to 48 hours previous to the game. And he's ready to go. Well, they need to get him around uh, K.J. Osborne because I ran into K.J. Osborne at Traz Pal on Saturday night. Miami Central was playing a team from Georgia and like Navon Donaldson had brought a bunch of guys there. And it's like 8 p.m. at night, and uh, K.J. Osborne is just drinking straight-up Pedialyte. I'm like, what is this guy Smart. doing? But I know. <laughs> he's like, I'm hydrating, you know, uh, I guess that was seven days in advance. But that's like a, you're not like a pro's pro, but I think you see the difference in levels of maturity levels when you see a guy doing that uh, as opposed to maybe Jeff Thomas a year ago. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Jeff has, has taken those steps and has taken things more seriously now, so to speak, and... You know, KJ, you mentioned KJ, he's listed as one of the backup returners. So he'll be in the mix there, too, if if Jeff can't get it done or if he does have those cramping issues. All right. We're like 12, 13, 14 minutes in this podcast. and We've not talked about Tate Martell, uh, which I think would probably upset what? the people. In, we would upset the people in Nashville. Tate Martell is kick clicks king. Um First off, let's just kind of unload from what everything that happened. Him uh, getting some run at wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so Manny was asked about it both, you know, on, on his morning appearance on the Joe Rose Show, local radio here in Miami, and at the weekly press conference with the local media. Both times he really danced around it, didn't really want to address whether or not Tate is playing receiver. Uh, you can look at that two ways, I guess, or a few ways, probably, I guess. he. So Manny said that they legitimately haven't made a decision yet on who the backup quarterback is. So to me, that kind of indicates maybe Tate is still wrestling with whether or not he does actually want to move to receiver or still wants to do the quarterback thing. And then you could look at it, too, as 
maybe Miami's putting together like a trick play type package with Tate Martella at wide receiver and, you know, have them throw the ball on, on a trick play. So that's how I read into it. I, I mean, I think long-term wise for Tate, if he wants to play football on a professional level of some sort, uh, making the switch to receiver does make a lot of sense because I just don't think there's a future there at quarterback. Now, if he wants to have fun on the college level, play quarterback at a at a lower level school, he should definitely pursue that. But if he's going to stay at Miami, he should probably change positions. I don't know what to think. I think that Manny not saying anything is a bit of, a bit of gamesmanship here. I think he's not trying to tip his hat. Just because now Florida has to prepare, like it. What if Tate Martell's in the slot? Uh, right. Are they going? I don't. I mean, is there going to be a trick play? Probably not. I will say, from what I've heard from two plugged-in sources, that Tate has actually looked pretty good at wide receiver. Um, I know Manny and none of them want to go on record saying that he has worked out there, but I did hear that he took some reps there in that that simulated uh, non-padded thud-up scrimmage on Friday night. I also did look up because I was really interested in this. He caught one pass for nine yards as a senior in high school. So the guy who accounted for all, all, all 10,000 yards of offense actually has one career catch to his, his credit. But I do agree with you. Um, the thing that everyone has said about him, and, and if you listen to what the issue was at Ohio State and, and what the issue was early here at Miami is the accuracy thing. I, I think Tate is, is a gamer at quarterback. He, he does a lot of special things. Uh, with the ball in his hands in terms of running, but he's not the most accurate passer. And it's hard to excel uh, at this level, the Power 5 level, if you're not accurate. I mean, just look at Malik Rozier. I mean, we saw Miami exhausted the most they could out of him. And, and, and and, you know, eventually that bubble burst and um, Miami lost some games because he wasn't accurate. So, uh, he's a guy who, what, what is it, sub 4 in the in, in the short shuttle? I mean, that is a, a slot, sounds like a slot receiver to me. Right. What would be your expectations, you know, if he does move to receiver, what would you expect it to look like with Tate? Oh, I mean, like a Braxton Berrios? I mean, I don't know. I, I think the advantage he has going for him is he actually knows the offense. And I think one of the biggest issues right now is that Miami doesn't have the smartest players in the wide receivers room. Now I'm not saying I've heard that from someone, but that's just kind of my read on the situation. It's like you, you have so many talented guys and it seems like all of them struggle to get on the field. And yeah. to me that, that must, it must boil it down to not knowing the plays or assignments or, or something. There's definitely busts in that. Like they bust a lot of plays in terms of like, they don't know their assignments at times or even, you know, the drop passes is still somewhat of an issue for some of the receivers in that group from what we hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Tate being a slot. He's going to be a total slot receiver because he's got that short area burst. I think, like, when I just look at him physically, eyeballing him, you know, I don't have a Tate measure, but it does seem like he has fairly long arms for his uh, height. Like, I think his wingspan is is longer than his height, which is a good thing for a receiver. And he, of course, has that short area quickness burst to get open on those short throws. So, you know, I, I think well, it, it would take put time. It like this. I don't think he's going to play or make an impact this year. And if he does, it's a right. bit alarming about what else is on the roster. Right. right? But in the say, at the same time, he still has three years of eligibility. So 
you know, if he changes to receiver, this year can be kind of a learning year and adjust to the position. But, you know, and if things go well, he could be in the mix as a slot guy next year. So, and then he would have two years of eligibility at receiver. So, but the other thing is, we have no idea what Jaron's going to look like uh, against Florida. Sure. Um, you know, there's a very good chance he could be back in this quarterback competition. I mean, or, or see the field. I mean, if I told you right now, do you think Jaron Williams is going to start all 12 games? What, what would you say? Oh, man. That's too. That's hard. That's <laughs> hard. I Can I see how the Florida game goes first before I answer that? I will I know, say just... this. Like, I... If Jaron isn't the guy, I think the next guy they turn to is Nikosi. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree. If things, I mean, I think that Manny's going to give and Dan will give him a, a long leash against Florida just because I think right. they don't want to lose the locker room. But if things went south and bad, I, I do agree Nikosi would probably be the guy. Right. Which I think indicates, too, like Tate should probably change positions if he wants to stay at Miami. So, that's all I'm saying. Which makes quarterback recruiting even more important. Like, good thing they have Tyler Van Dyke uh, currently committed, and uh, Peyton Matosha better be a better be a dude. <laughs> yeah, and then Jake Garcia in twenty twenty one. It never stops. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears to something else. Me and you've kind of been talking about doing uh, since we started the podcast. Um, a little player superlatives, I guess, for for the upcoming season. Uh, we are planning to do another podcast here uh, either thursday or friday before the florida game kind of a yeah. more in-depth florida preview but this is just since we have some time we, we, we just want to put this together so we're just going to do four of them i guess i'll start with you david your breakout player for miami this season are you gonna let me steal your pick then huh <laughs> you don't know i'll go pick i'll go with um i'll go with tight end will mallory i think in this new offense that Danny Enos is is installing, I think Mallory's going to be a star. I think he'll have a chance to be the best tight end in the ACC. I think there's a chance he's even more productive in terms of yardage and touchdowns than Brevin Jordan, and I think that says a lot because I'm high on Brevin Jordan too. Uh, I think the only the only concern with Will is he does have somewhat of a injury history recently in, in recent years. Uh, so if he doesn't have any injuries pop up, I think he's going to be extremely productive. He's going to be a very useful weapon for this offense. And I'm expecting big things out of Will this year. I like it. I, I do, too. I just did a, a radio appearance in Jacksonville. And they're like, oh, who, you know, tell someone we wouldn't know about. I'm like, well, Will Mallory, but you guys are a Jacksonville radio station, so you totally know who Will Mallory is. But I, I do agree. He's an athletic freak. Um, I think... You know, they list him close to 225 pounds now, and people have asked, is, is he a better blocker, I, I, or can he set the edge? I don't, I mean, who knows? I, I don't think Miami's going to really ask him to do that much. I mean, he looks more like a tight end than he did last year, but uh, yeah. he's just special with the ball in his hands. I mean, go back to the start of camp when he had made that one-handed catch that uh, the Canes the official account tweeted out. I right. just think he's a, he's a mismatch kind of nightmare. Um, just because you can you can move him around. I think an offensive mind like Dan Enos is only going to maximize uh, his talents. Yep. All right. So my breakout player, since he thought it was Will Mallory, I got Gervin Hall. I went defensive here. Um, 
I think Gervin is in for a big season. I know he's made the yep. interceptions kind of uh, in the scrimmages, and the coaches have, have spoken highly of him. But I think out of the two safeties, Gervin is the one I feel just more confident about. I think he's someone that could set the tempo on the back end of the defense. And uh, he talked to his position coach, Ephraim Vanda. You know, he's loved him since his days of high school. I just think he's finally um, – ready to put it all together. Now, I know he was sitting behind Jaquan Johnson and uh, Sheldrick Redwine, but I think if there's one guy on defense that maybe four or five games in the year, you're like, oh, you know, he's ar- you already view him as someone that's penciled in and, and solid and reliable, I think it's probably going to be Gervin. No, I, I agree. I like that pick on the defensive side. I know, so when he was a recruit, I wrote that his film reminded me so much of former Hurricane safety Brandon Merriweather, just like a... Not the biggest safety, but a guy who was rangy and a guy who could really hit, bring the wood for a guy his size. And to me, that's Gervin. He's a guy. He's an all-around safety. I think he's the next great one that that Miami's going to produce. And you know, Florida. If I was Florida, I wouldn't necessarily test Gervin's side where, wherever he is in the secondary because he's shown he can make plays during camp. Quick side note: Have you seen? Uh, I don't know who's leading this charge, but everyone's pounding their chest about every safety that Ephraim Banda's coach has made the NFL. Have you have you seen this movement uh, that's going on behind the scenes? I haven't. Tell me more. <laughs> I, I don't know. Someone pointed it out, and I, I started doing it in my head. And every coach that Ephraim Banda or every safety that Ephraim Banda has coached here at Miami has made the NFL, and I think that's it's kind of impressive. No, I agree. I think. The, the one thing you can give him a lot of credit for is his safeties are always uh, on point in terms of like his guys just never give up big play, like big touchdown plays. They're always connected on the field and, and have a good communication, a good feel for where the other safety is. And I think that's credit to, to Coach Banda and the job he does with coaching those guys. Uh, only issue is I think Robert Knowles is probably going to end that streak. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not easy being Robert Knowles. <laughs> All right, top freshman. I think there's not a lot of, of choices here, so let's go. I'll give it to you first. Top freshman uh, for Miami in 2019. All right, I will pick... I'll I mean, go there's the... obvious ones. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the fun one. I'll go with Jafari Harvey. I'm I'm excited to see what he does as a pass rusher this year. Uh, you know, I think they're going to use him as a total situational guy. Like, I don't think he's a, a three down defensive end at this point, but I think on third and long, you're going to see Jafari Harvey get in the game. And I think you're going to see him make plays because he's a freak athlete. He has a nasty spin move that you saw earlier in camp already. Um, and it, to me, he's a guy who's still just scratching the surface of his potential. I think he's a total stud and going to be a, a freak here, uh, for the next three years at UM before he goes on to the NFL. I have Harvey here too, and I'm not going to change it just because I, I don't know where else to move my, my pawn. Um, I, what was interesting to me is they listed Harvey as a, as the third team backup on both spots, right. The depth chart. And I think that kind of plays into what you're saying as they're going to get this guy into situationally on the field. Um, right. And the thing that fascinates me about Jafari is, He's like 6'3", but he's like built like he's like 6'4", 6'5", in terms of like his arms uh, and just torso and everything. It's like just so – it fascinates me in a way, and I agree. I, I expect him to be on the field 
uh, in Orlando in a few days. I know Todd Stroud earlier in camp said, you know, he's he's one of the best athletes on the team, period. So I think, you know, the future is definitely bright with Jafari. All right, next super relative we got. Remember the name. So maybe a guy, what we're shooting for here is a guy that's probably not going to start week one, but we think will probably come on by the end of the season. Mine is Bubba Bolden. I wrote about this on, I think it was Sunday after Miami scrimmage, or maybe it was Saturday after Miami scrimmage on Friday. Wrote it for our VIP subscribers. I've heard nothing but good things about Bubba Bolden. Multiple people on staff actually just like, I woke up to a text message like, Bubba Bolden's the dude. You guys need to be hyping him up. Uh, so I think he's in store for a big season. I know Manny mentioned him uh, Monday during the media. He's still trying to – maybe it was maybe it was uh, Blake Baker. He's still trying to process the defense. But I would not be surprised if he's making some impact plays by week four or five. It sounds like maybe even against Florida, they're going to have some sub packages that he does get on the field on the defense. I wouldn't expect him to be on the field that much, but I think you might see him, I don't know, 10 snaps on defense against Florida. Do you think that's fair or even that's unrealistic? Well, I think if you look to back to what they did last year on defense, uh, when they would kind of bring Amari Carter in and he would blitz on uh, that weird third down package they have, I could see him totally coming in, stepping in for Carter, playing uh, you know, whatever zone position they needed and Carter being the guy that rushes off the edge. So, yes, I mean, if that happens 10 times, then absolutely. So my pick, since you went with Bubba Bolden, <laughs> I will go with uh, my boy Mark Pope. I That's a, bo- that's a bold. That's, I that's know. bold. I like Especially it, Especially if Tate Martell steals some snaps from him. I am still, I'm still high on Mark Pope. I'm still high on his talent. I've heard that. You know, he's had some issues with some drops during camp. But I think he's going to rally. I think he's just too talented with his speed and change of direction and quickness. Uh, I don't necessarily think you'll see him much against Florida, to be honest. But I think he'll get involved more and more as the season progresses. And I think that'll be good for his confidence. And once his confidence is up, I think you'll see Mark Pope start making plays like we expected him to make when he signed as a big-time recruit? Man, I hope so. I mean, he's such like a person you like want to pull for. I mean, and you just want the ranking to be right. But my confidence level is low. I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I'm like, I'm I'm just I'm out on short receivers now. Like, I'm just Yeah. You gotta be you gotta be tall. I mean, I I'm not saying it's just because of Mark Pope, but like my confidence there has taken a major hit. Tell me this though, like when you're out there at practice uh, watching the receivers, don't you think he still, like, when you just watch the guys run, he still runs differently than most of the other receivers that are out there? He does. I mean, you can tell, like, I don't want to say he, like, glides, but he's good. Yeah. I mean, he, like, he moves different like, than other people, if that like makes he's sense. Like, not, he's not Jeff Thomas, but he's... You know, he's close to that. He can accelerate well. His top end speed's good. He changes directions very well. I'm still believing in him. I'm a Mark Pope guy. I'm riding with him. All right, final one we got. Most important player. Uh, Do you want the honors here? I'll go. I mean, mine's a little off the wall, I think. I don't know. Mine's off the wall, too, so (laughs) let's hear it. Well, I think the obvious answer is quarterback, so I'm not saying quarterback. Obviously, quarterback's important. 
I'm going to go defense and I'm going to pick John Ford. I think, you know, from what we've seen, the Manny Diaz defense, it can be extremely successful at Miami if you have that productive defensive tackle. And by all accounts that we've heard during camp and even dating back to the spring, John Ford has been that guy. Everyone's raving about John Ford and how he looks uh, this offseason. And he's the guy they need to step up at defensive tackle because, quite frankly, I don't see another guy at that level uh, that Miami has at that position. So I think if John Ford has a good game against Florida, it was similar like last year with Gerald Willis. Like there was a ton of hype with Gerald, but you still needed to see it. And he came out and balled out against LSU, and the rest of the year he was awesome. I, I'm, I'm hoping that John Ford has a similar type of trajectory where, you know, we hear the hype going into game one against Florida. We'll see if John Ford can produce at a high level against Florida. And if he does, I think that's going to be a very good sign for the defense in general, being at an elite level again this year. That's a good, I mean, I totally forgot about that whole Gerald Willis, how he was hyped up and then he just, he like balled against LSU. And then remember he like propelled himself into drafts, uh, like mock draft. He was in every like initial mock draft, uh, first yeah. round mock draft for like the first for that a month after that, just solely because of that game. He came to play that day and he kept it going too the rest of the year. So we'll see if John can do the same type of thing. All right. Mine is off the wall as well, but I went with KJ Osborne. That's the first name that came okay. to mind for me. Um, just because I think. Like, they need a reliable pass catcher in this offense. Uh, And if he's, I don't think he's going to be a bust, but if he's not what they've made him out to be and what everyone else has made him out to be, then I think that's it's going to cause problems. Just because we don't know how consistent Jeff Thomas is. We don't know at the end of the day if he's going to be here for all 12 games. I mean, I think he's pretty much turned things around, but that's still a question mark. I still have my concerns about Mike Harley. I mean... It's almost crazy that Mike Harley to think that he's a junior, but I was going through his stats today, and he's only had two games of uh, where he's had more than two catches in his career. Yeah. I mean, he's it's like where, where's the production been? So I think they just and I, I like the tight ends, but they can't throw to the tight ends every play. So I just think they they're definitely going to need a reliable go-to option on offense, and I think KJ Osborne could be the guy and should be the guy, and if they didn't have him. And they didn't bring him in. I, I, I just think this receiver group would be, it'd be bad. It'd be like the Oakland Raiders. Like no, I, like, I, I agree. I think the addition of KJ. I mean, it's been hyped, but I think it's still kind of underrated. To be honest with you, I think he's going to be a, you know, everyone kind of took Braxton Berrios for granted his his senior year here, even though he was extremely productive and a big time player. Uh, I think we saw what happened when he left and, and what happened the following year. Uh, now, Amon Richards also got hurt that year, too. So those are your top two receivers going down. And last year, Miami's passing attack uh, really felt the difference in, in not having those guys. I think KJ is that type of guy, that type of reliable Braxton Berrios type of guy that can also make plays. And I think you're right. Just having him is going to help bolster... Uh, the passing attack and and help the quarterbacks in general. I also like guys that are like, I'd always want to bet on a guy who's in a money year and like KJ Osborne is in a money yeah. year. 
Trayvon Hill is in a money year. I think DJ Dallas could be in a money year as well. I mean, I know he just had a kid. I don't think you know he's planning on leaving for the NFL draft after this upcoming season. And to be honest, I'm surprised no one's asked him about that. Everyone seems to think Trayvon Bandy's headed to the NFL, but we'll save that for another podcast. But I, I would bank on guys who, who are out to prove something. I think he definitely wants to show that he can play on this level. No, I agree. And that's why he came. He wanted, you know, he does have NFL aspirations, but this was the stepping stone in between uh, Buffalo and the NFL. And he wants to show he can, he can do it at Miami. And to be honest, I think he will. All right, before we wrap this thing up, guys, I just wanted to touch on a few, uh, I guess, recruiting notes. Um, High school football in South Florida is underway. Uh, There was the kickoff classics this past weekend, uh, and a majority of Miami's commits were in action. I posted a number of of stats for our VIP subscribers. One game I did want to discuss with you, I'm not sure if you saw or or read the numbers, David, is Romello Height. Uh, had like three sacks, seven tackles, caught a touchdown wow. as as a as a tight end for uh, Dublin, Georgia. Uh, our Auburn site actually wrote that the Tigers yeah. are really trying to get involved there. I know you've kind of called this one from the start, right? I mean, you think he's he's an uh, SEC a, looking guy. Yeah, like just I'm physically, not... he looks like an SEC guy. How close, like where he is in in Georgia? Is it close to Auburn? Do you know, like location wise? No, it's like in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> to okay. be honest. It's like two hours south of Atlanta, uh, but I could see them potentially being a threat. The good news, however, though, is he did text me today saying that the plan is to be uh, in Orlando this upcoming weekend for uh, the game at Camping World Stadium. So I, w- I would say that it's a, a minor win for Miami if he makes it there. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy they're going to have to battle for this whole cycle. So I guess get used to these type of nuggets from Ivan's. <laughs> uh, Jalen, uh, the, the, the Oakleaf duo, Jalen Rivers is actually dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, he, he told me that he got an MRI on his ankle. Not sure how serious that injury is, but I think that's definitely a, a newsworthy item that kind of flew under the radar today for people that I guess care about the future of the program. That's something to monitor. Chance Williams, uh, his teammate is also dealing with a knee injury. I don't think it's as serious there, uh, but I found that interesting that those two guys didn't play. Um, I was also out at up, or I should say, I had to drive all the way up to Palm Beach County to watch Miami Northwestern play. You know, I had my <laughs> fair, fair share of run-ins with the administration at Miami Northwestern, but I got my first chance uh, to see them this season play. Marcus Fleming had a 62-yard touchdown run. Uh, if you have not seen the video, it's on our site. It's on my Twitter account. Um, he just takes a handoff and absolutely runs out, outruns an entire defense with that 4-4 speed. Yeah, no, I'm a big Marcus Fleming fan. I think he's he's that type of guy, playmaker type. Just find him a way to get the ball and he'll make plays. How about how did the uh how did the other two skill guys at Northwestern look? Brantley and and Brinson. Romello Brinson in true South Florida fa- fashion, uh I think he served a, a first quarter suspension for who knows what. So he he didn't get any action because there was eventually a a monsoon in the area, but Khalil Brantley Every it seems like every time me and you talk about him, we say he's looking more and more like a tight end. Uh, but he did look like a tight end, like he was like chip blocking. Uh, and he caught, I, I think it was like a 45 yard touchdown. He came across the middle on a third down and just kind of outran the defense. So I'm a fan of him. He's definitely got some Brevin Jordan uh, in his game. But the one guy I left, I, and I think I, I sent you video mid game was Tim Burns, 
the 2021 cornerback. I think what a take for Miami. What a find. Uh, He pretty much locked up top 247 wide receiver Brian Robinson, who was obviously previously committed to the Hurricanes. But uh, Burns had like two pass breakups, an interception. And I think Robinson finished the night with like two or three catches. I've seen Robinson play probably... Uh, three times in, in person, and every time he he normally just eats up opposing defenses. So I think he's a great take for Miami. And the good thing is, is he's like a Miami kid through and through. I do not see him uh, decommitting. I mean, probably someone's going to pull this audio back up at some point down the line. But <laughs> I, he seems to be saying all the right things now, and and for the right reasons. Two two questions on Burns. I guess I should know this, but is he related in any way to Artie? Do you know? <sighs> He 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 doesn't know, which leads me to believe he doesn't know, okay. or he isn't, I should say. And then what's like what size is is he? What what's his size right now? He ain't the biggest kid. I I think he's a um he's you know he's like a Trajan Bandy size, which is fine, which is okay. absolutely fine. I think he's like a Trajan Bandy. Okay, no, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I was just curious. So he's like a five ten ish type corner. Right. And then the final nugget I got, or I should say recruiting note, um, just for our listeners, whoever's still listening, Anthony Hunley, the 2021 defensive tackle decommitted from Miami on Saturday night. Uh, I'm a little surprised by this, but I wanted to bring up just a tweet I saw a few days later from uh, Gerard Harrison Hunt, um, Miami's freshman defensive lineman, who we both think is going to have a very yeah, good career here. Time. He was saying, yeah, he was saying he, he's like, I, I love Miami and not just the football team, but also the city. I think that was his tweet. And uh, I, I think that just to me says that like, all right, you know, Miami's going to go find guys that under that same type of mindset. So if these local kids don't want to be part of the class, then they, they have no issue going and, and, and trying to find some of those guys. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how just in general this staff handles the 2021 class, right? Because the class is loaded with talent. Uh, The rest of the country is starting to find out that the local class is loaded. And so Miami's going to have their fair share of battles and and headaches, uh, all that recruiting good stuff. And, you know, do you, do you think, like, with Hundley, do you think Miami will still take swings at him? Or, or is this a situation where it's like, all right, see ya? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's one of these, all right, we'll see us. I mean, I think that Miami, uh, I mean, th- look at all these kids that have decommitted in the past. I mean, Miami this cycle has really just kind of turned their shoulder, whether it be Mark Britt or, or Henry right. Gray. I mean, I think I just put him in that type of category. I don't think he's, he's good enough for Miami to... To keep sitting there, he, he's not like a James Williams, I guess. Right. Which you know, I mean, I think that's a fair way to go about it because, at some point, Miami does want to send the message like, "Look, you want, we want you to be loyal to us, just like we're going to be loyal to you if we take your commitment." Right. Yeah. Well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Um, be sure to stay locked to Miami.247Sports.com over the next couple of days. I know I'm going to have a uh, story up on Tuesday, which is when you guys are probably listening to this podcast. Just uh, some of the confirmed recruits expected to be in Orlando. Um, I believe we're also going to be dropping a podcast later on this week, really going in depth on the uh, Florida Miami game. I think that's going to be either Thursday or Friday. David, yeah. do you got anything? I want so yeah, Thursday, Friday we'll go. We'll do a deep dive on Florida. I want a full detailed breakdown on how awesome a passer Felipe Franks is. 
All right, that's going to do it, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Later. Okay, that was good. That was like about 43 minutes.